When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of High Resolution Bite Sides Video Game Industry Podcast. Today we are joined by Julian from Massive Monster of Cult of the Lamb fame and recent acclaim. Firstly, congratulations on the launch and congrats on the the early success of the game, Julian. It must be quite the thrill for the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been um yeah, it's been absolutely crazy. Like I think it's just kind of it just continues to like break our expectations of what what's going on with it. So yeah, been loving it. <laughs> Fantastic. So I, I want to take things back a little bit uh to, to start things off. Julian, do you recall the moment when you decided to work in video games? Yeah, yeah. I think um yeah, it's kinda of came across kind of randomly, but me and my friend were playing this like weird game. I don't even know, I can't remember what it was. It was some like online kind of game, but it like had really simple graphics and stuff. But I could see like that you could go into the source files and kind of change all the graphics. So yeah, I just kind of came across and I was like, oh we can we can just go in here and change the graphics. That's that's awesome. So me and my friend were kind of playing around with that. And then we're like, this is great. Let's why don't we why don't we make our own game? That that could be fun. Um so yeah we started on it. Um my friends I think immediately gave up. Um but then yeah I just kept doing it and yeah it's that was maybe i don't know 12 14 years ago so <laughs> here we go oh fantastic um and i know that you had a, a little bit of a, a grounding in the the flash game mm. scene uh yeah. back here uh, back in the day which was uh, a bit of a, a bit of a hive of activity for a lot of developers uh, in in their early days uh how how did you get started with the, the flash game development or, or what drew you mm -hmm. to to that side of things yeah, so the Flash games, I think I was hanging out on, like, Newgrounds and, you know, all those websites and playing a bit of Flash games. So, yeah, I was definitely kind of getting in the community of it. And so, yeah, I kind of downloaded Flash and I was like, oh, what's this about? Um, and, yeah, I started playing around with it. Um, I started trying to, like, yeah, do programming in it, but, like, I just was not good at it. So, I started, like, doing art. So, like, yeah, I naturally, like was never that, you know, art inclined really. Uh, but, you know, I just started doing it and then, yeah, kept at it again. Uh, but yeah, I definitely, 
yeah, was loving the flash stuff. I kind of realized quickly, like with a lot of the um, the flash games, you could make um, ad revenue with it, um, or you could kind of do sponsorships. So yeah, I think a few of these like really crappy things I chucked up online had made like fifty bucks or something, and I was like sixteen or something at the time, and I was like, hell yeah, hell yeah, I'm rich. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just kept um, kept making them, and then yeah, kind of yeah, it was going great. I think that was back when like flash games were kind of really at a peak time. So yeah, it was like pretty easy to make money with them. Yeah, and what what led to sort of the formation of Massive Monster as as we know it and then starting to make commercial games? Yeah, so um, that kind of came out from these Flash days. So I uh, made a game with uh, Jay Armstrong, which is one of the other directors in the company. Um, and he he had worked on a bunch of other little Flash games, but we kind of both had a quite a similar style. Like he likes kind of this kind of cute kind of cute art style, kind of like quite the BMF uh, Castle Crashers kind of look to it. Um, and I was like, this looks great. Like, let's, um, let's collab. I think I'd put up like a mock up of, um, the game I wanted to make, which was, um, Super Adventure Pals, which was, um, yeah, the first Flash game we kind of worked on. Uh, and then Chimp, which is one of the other directors in the company, he had, he was also working on a bunch of Flash games. I think he had also done art on a project where Jay had done programming. So yeah, it just kind of, um, yeah, did that for ages. But then, yeah, we, we hadn't actually ever worked all on a game together until Cult of the Lamb because uh, Jay kind of did programming for Never Give Up and The Adventure Pals once we kind of moved into console desktop games. Um, and then, yeah, now we're like finally all working together. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. And, and how was that sort of first experience in developing and, and releasing a commercial game? Because I my first experience with Massive Monster was playing The Adventure Pals at avcon some years ago which i I was really impressed by with with you know how how you say you know very cute and approachable game and and one that that played you know it was it was a really fun platformer sort of game so what what was the experience like creating the the adventure pals it was definitely like a big kind of step up from flash games so like i think originally we tried to make it a flash game but it just kind of got the scope of it just got too big you'd open up flash and it would just like crash immediately so yeah we kind of had to start moving into desktop console this was around the time of yeah the flash game industry was like dying because all the mobile stuff was coming out um so this was us kind of pivoting to kind of yeah get into new markets um but yeah it was definitely like a long and difficult process trying to like figure out, yeah, how do you even make desktop console games? How do you get on all these platforms? Um, we're kind of using this weird thing called like hacks open FL, um, with hacks like, um, programming language open FL is like a framework on it. Um, so we're just doing it in a really weird way as well. Um, but I think this was like unity was pretty early that the, you know, back then as well. Um, but yeah, it's just a lengthy process figuring all that out. But yeah, we kind of got there in the end and it, it worked out all right. It kind of was, uh, we say modest success, mainly because, uh, I think there was a lot of luck involved and kind of a big YouTuber covered it and then it was early switch. Um, so it kind of meant that we could keep doing things. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. And then, then, um, uh, what was it? Never, never give up, never uh, give up. after, yeah. after that. Uh, what, what led to the development of that and how did that go? Yeah. So that was, I actually didn't have to work on it. So that was great. Um, but <laughs> that was, uh, 
uh, Jay and Jim were kind of working on that one. And originally that was a, um, a bit of a contract job with Armor Games. So Armor Games were the publisher of the Adventure Pals. And they, again, because they owned a Flash game portal, they were like, oh shit, we need to kind of pivot to different things. So they wanted to jump into desktop console games as well. So, you know, it worked out perfectly. Um, but yeah, they're like, oh, we made this Flash game that like did really well. It had like, I don't know, 20, 30 million de- like plays or something back in the day. So they were like, we need to, yeah, let's make a desktop console version of it. But yeah, it, um, did not do well. It was like a big flop. I think, um, yeah, the idea itself, like, you know, you already have all these hardcore platforms like Super Meat Boy and all these other things. Um, so yeah, it just didn't really find any grounding in a way where it could like stand out and on its own. Yeah. So with, with the adventure powers and, and never get, and uh, never give up, what, what were some of the sort of lessons that you learned from that, that you then were able to apply with the development of Cold of the Lamb? Yeah. I think for me, definitely just kind of like, putting in more consideration for like marketing early on and kind of thinking about, you know, how we're going to sell this game as we in, in the ideation phase and like just starting with that and then kind of developing on top of it. Um, just cause yeah, a lot of the struggle we had as well was like, yeah, trying to, how do we sell adventure pals and how do we sell never give up? Um, so yeah, really considering that and considering who the audience is and, um, also on kind of the adventure pals, even just because it was so cute and kind of random looking, uh, a lot of people thought it was a kid's game, which is like, you know, fair enough, but it also wasn't really our intention. Um, but you know, it kind of worked out okay. Cause I think we had a lot of parents buying it and kids playing it, which is great. But, um, it, because it wasn't really what we we're thinking when we made him, had him, when we started working on it. So yeah, just kind of. Yeah, making sure we consider that stuff and, yeah, trying to, like, do things because we know if we make another flop, we, you know, we probably won't continue to exist. So, <laughs> actually just making sure we make something that will hopefully sell. Yeah, and do do you feel that as a developer, that, that pressure when you're developing, you know, say, in, in this instance, Cold of the Lamb, thinking, geez, we, we need a hit here, <laughs> otherwise that's it for our game dev. Do, do you really feel that quite intently while developing? I think um our business model has always been in the past, like, relying on publisher funding. So, mm. we, sh- like, yeah, the idea is, like, hopefully, you know, if it's not a big hit, we can kind of still keep going. But if it is a massive flop, like, you can never give up. It's, like, there's not really anywhere to go from there because it's, like, published, you know, a publisher probably won't want to work with you again. <laughs> um But, yeah, I think there- there's definitely that. But I think if you're making, I think there's more, more pro the pressure is more on just kind of creating a unique idea and not just kind of copying something else or like following the trend. I think that's kind of the pressure for me because, you know, just making sure that we're doing our own thing. Yeah. And as as a lot of people know, Cold of the Lamb does do some very unique and quirky things with genre conventions, which I'll ask about in a sec. But I'd like to first ask, how how far back does development of Cold of the Lamb go? Where, where did the idea first come to you? Yeah, so I think... Oh, I, I keep saying we've worked out for three years, but I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, I think we kind of had a... Um, we kind of got a rough prototype together a while... Um, quite a while ago. I think it was maybe, you know six months after Never Give Up came out, or maybe it was earlier, but we kind of had this rough prototype. I remember I took it to like GDC and was just kind of like, again, throwing the idea out there, just kind of pitching early just to even get an idea of like, 
you know, are people connecting to what I'm saying? Are they, are they getting excited? Um, and I kind of found from that that it was already like too complicated, the ideas we had for it. Cause it was like, I think the initial idea was, um, called Sky Scouts and you're on the back of a flying whale and you fly around, then kind of go down and, um, get resources and hunt stuff and kind of come back up, which isn't too bad. It's, you know, I'm sure that could have done okay as well, but like, I was like, we can do better. So yeah, we started basically with that idea of like the, the two genres kind of mushed together. Um, so with the, yeah, the dungeon crawler with the base builder. So kind of, I think there was a bit of inspiration from games like Moonlighter as well, where they were able to like pull that off in a really, really simple way. Like we knew we could do something kind of similar, but like do it a lot better um where yeah you can't take two sides i think jay was really interested in exploring kind of like doing a rim world thing but like with actual fun combat where you could like control one of the characters i think that was his kind of main pull originally but then yeah i kind of yeah we were talking you know we went through lots of different ideas on how to actually make it work and prototyping and um concepting all these other ideas um but yeah i think we kind of stumbled into kind of running a cult through kind of we were running uh, originally you're all kind of running a hell but it was just kind of um it was just kind of sad like hurting all these followers for no reason because i'm like if you're running a hell you kind of need to torture them to like get some juice or get some points from it to fill up your bar but um yeah it was just me and we're like no i don't want to do that (laughs) so the cult yeah cult leader kind of worked perfectly because you could do it if you wanted to, if you want to be a naughty, if you want to be a bad cult leader, or you could be nice to them and, you know, you could do both really. Um, and it just kind of like, it was more exciting for us as well. I think we started, when we started going down the cult route, like it kind of was riding itself a bit more, which is, um, yeah, it's usually a good indication if an idea is working, if you can kind of come up with the ideas easily. Yeah. And as creative director, what did your role involve or entail with Cult of the Lamb? Yeah, it's been a funny one, actually, because like this is the first game I've actually I've done a lot of programming on this game as well. Uh, But I I don't know. I like to say that I kind of try and steer the ship a little bit like in the directions we're going with it. I think early on, my role was like, yeah, exploring the art style, trying to get the look of it down, like not too focused on what an individual asset looks like, but more like what's the general look of this? What is, what kind of new, what kind of lighting are we bringing to it? How, you know, how can we make this stand out? So kind of, yeah, exploring shaders and a lot of that stuff as well. Um, but then, yeah, a lot of just kind of working with Jay and the others on kind of like game design things and trying to, um, trying to keep them on track with kind of this cult idea and kind of getting the tone right. Um, but yeah, I've luckily, you know, I managed to get away with, um, not doing, um, heaps on it, I think. Like, but it's kind of, <laughs> I look back, I'm like, what did I actually do on it? But, um, cause I know like, uh, uh, Jim, the other art director, he, he pumped out so much art assets and kind of did heaps of animation for it. Um, while, yeah, I was just mumbling around getting, you know, steering a ship. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I'm, I'm curious about going back to the, the core concept of that, you know, action roguelike with the colony base management aspect of Cold of the Lamb. One thing that I found in my time with the game that I've really enjoyed is how well each of those seemingly separate elements feed into one another and inform one another and and keep this really satisfying gameplay loop going pretty well the entire time you're playing and it's it's such a cohesive experience despite on paper sounding like a, a very very <laughs> odd mix of things so i'm i'm curious 
obviously there was lots of playtesting and iteration involved, but what what led you to find that really good mix of the, the gameplay elements to, to create what we see now? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, um, yeah, as you say, it took a lot of iteration and it probably didn't come together until like six months ago. Uh, it was just a lot of, um, yeah, we definitely, we knew the biggest thing for the game was we needed like those loops to keep feeding into each other and never feel like one-sided. So yeah, a lot of the work around the gameplay was trying to improve that. And the kind of, the, what I say is like the glue that kind of kept it all together, I think, is the followers because it's all kind of like led through the followers where you're kind of doing tasks for them, you're looking after them, but you're also trying to kind of get more powerful through them. So you kind of, and just kind of whenever you finish one thing that you're doing, there's kind of a new thing that's going to pop up that you're like, oh, maybe I should do that. Like you're trying to quit the game, but it's like, oh, I need to do that. I need to do that before I get off. Oh, I haven't done my sermon yet. Oh, but now this guy needs some, you know, this guy's hungry. So it's like, oh, um, it just like, keeps keeps going into each other where the game's telling you like okay you know go go from the base now you need to go get some resources or something you need some new followers um so yeah just yeah just i think it came together by adding a lot of things as well just kind of all these systems you can kind of unlock and yeah it ended up with like a ton of systems in the game but and that was like super overwhelming as well. Once we added the, all those in, we're like, oh, this is great. But it's like, there's so much stuff going on. So that's why like, you don't even get all the systems until like two hours into the game or something. Yeah, I, I was really impressed by the tutorialization of the game. It, it didn't feel overwhelming and that all of those systems were drip fed at a really steady rate so that you didn't feel like you ran out of things to do. But it- didn't overwhelm you with mm. <laughs> you know, systems right from the get-go. C- can you think of any examples during development and, and perhaps leading up to the, the period of six months ago where you said things started to really come together? Can you think of any examples during development where, say, some of those systems weren't working and you, you can think of a particular moment where you managed to solve you know, an issue of bringing it together? Yeah, well, I think... Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because just a lot of the systems didn't work properly. And uh, when you're kind of making a systems-based game, which kind of the base side is, and even, I guess, because it's so connected to the dungeon, it all kind of is, um, it's hard for it all to come together until you've got all the pieces there. So there, there was quite a few times where, like, 
I'm trying to think of some specific examples. Even like, I feel like the sermons and rituals, like it was really hard for us to like justify them originally. And we we're kind of like, we had them in there, but they weren't really doing much. Um, but yeah, we kind of had those pieces there. But then once we added all these other pieces, like, yeah, the player, the player upgrade tree and stuff like that, then we're like, oh, okay, we can bring that into this. And kind of the other pieces started making sense. So kind of just, yeah, getting all those pieces together and then, yeah, can, Make, make a little puzzle out of it, I guess. Um, I'm trying to think of more other examples. We just tried out lots of ideas. It just didn't work. Like, you used to have to give, like, offerings to the one who waits every X amount of days. And there used to be this big giant head that would chase you around the dungeon if you're in it too long because the players were spending too long in the dungeons. And so, so many things. But, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's all a blur now. <laughs> just erased the last three years from my brain. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And we've... With you mentioned the inspirations included uh, the likes of Moonlighter and Rimworld from video games. Uh, what other inspirations or other mediums uh, inspired Cold of the Lamb along the way? Yeah, I mean, so I really wanted to bring in, um, yeah, quite a few. I wanted to bring a lot of non-game stuff into this game. So, like, I, I really love horror films. I really, you know, I mean, a classic um, example of it is, yeah, Midsummer. You get that quite a bit in the base side of the game. Um, but then, you know, Hereditary, a lot of these, yeah, really crazy horror films where they're even just like where they use lighting a lot. I think Suspiria, um, they are really like push the lighting. You're like, whoa, like they'll just make the whole screen red. And I'm like, okay, I really want to bring a lot of this influence from like horror films, how they kind of make things look kind of scary or kind of really push the direction and bring that into the game. Uh, and then along similar things with, yeah, kind of the cartoon style. I want it to be cartoon, but I wanted it to feel more mature. So things like Over the Garden Wall, where it is like, you know, things are cute, but it's also quite like a disturbing world. And you're like, what what the hell's going on in here? Um, so, yeah, I think kind of pulling from those mediums um, really helped. And it looks like your uh, commitment to lighting extends to the real world as well, because I've seen uh, a lot of the interviews, and even now you've got this <laughs> nice, nice red sort of color grading. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> it's it's very, very, very intentional. I take it with uh, with your your cinematic uh, uh, camera lighting. <laughs> oh, that's it. I mean, I just love lighting. Like I throw um I, I throw parties every now and then, and um yeah, I basically put. Yeah, you know, I'll do, it'll be a few weeks of prep, just getting all these, a little a lighting installation going and playing around with kind of Arduinos and setting up my own kind of lighting stuff for them. But I, yeah, I mean, I actually need to set up some, some RGB lighting for the keyboards and stuff. I think we've been sent a few keyboards to do that. So just being lazy. <laughs> 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 Very good. Um, so, how did the, the partnership with Devolver come about? Because mm. clearly, they're, they're such a well-known label in the indie space, and I imagine quite a, a sought-after partnership. So, how, how did this <laughs> eventuate? Yeah. So, I think it was something we definitely had in the back of our mind as we're kind of creating the idea of the game as well. Um, but I think um, Jay had maybe met with one of the people through, he won like a breakthrough Brit thing or something where he could, um, they kind of put him in touch with some industry people. So I think he had like maybe met a Devolver person and we, so we kind of knew in the back of our mind, like, oh, there might be a possibility for us to kind of hit them up when we, um, when we get something ready to pitch. Uh, the, I don't think he got his contact information though. So he just guessed it, but I think it was the correct, I think it was the correct email. Um, but yeah, we kind of, 
knowing that, yeah, we're going for Devolver, we're like, we can kind of double down on, like, the cult stuff and the occult stuff. They're, you know, Devolver's quite, I don't know, punkish or, you know, alternative-ish. Um, so, I think they'd be into something a bit fucked up or something. <laughs> so, we can, um, yeah, so I think that definitely helped and it meant we didn't have to worry too much with the direction we we're going. Uh, but, yeah, we they were kind of keen. We talked to heaps of publishers, actually, and it was the first time where, yeah, like everyone we're talking to was like keen and we're like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, this is, this is new. Uh, but yeah, Devolver were just kind of like, they were our ideal publisher and they were very much just like, yep, we like it. Let's get signed. Get going straight away. Where I think some of the other publishers were like, you know, making us go through hoops. Like, oh yeah, we'll do some due diligence on you guys. And we're like, oh, dude. <laughs> like we're just three guys working remotely. We don't really want some due diligence done. Like, you know, um, just have to <laughs> roll the dice on us really. Uh, so yeah, it worked out well. And they've honestly, they've, they've been really great to work with. Like they, yeah. Like just the amount of work, just publishing the game that they do is crazy. Mm. And, and from a local development scene, I know there was a, a recent, event hosted by Vic Screen, which mm. Cold of the Lamb was yep. uh, a focal point of a, a local project on, on the big stage and, and showcasing the, the local dev scene. So, what what support did you receive from, from Vic Screen or any local agencies? Yeah. So, um, basically, that was when we had this rough demo. We kind of had the rough demo and we kind of started packaging it together a little bit, but we- um, we knew it wasn't really at the quality level we wanted to like pitch to publishers because you know we gotta gotta make a good impression. So we basically got them to give us a small amount of funding. I think it's only about forty k Australian dollars, but kind of it meant that we could really, really kind of um, polish up that that demo, and we we're trying to get to like more of a vertical slice with it. Um, but yeah, just really make it as good as we can. We got like uh, our composer on it, making sure that yeah he could get a bunch of tracks done and. Um, we got some like key art stuff done for it. So it just, yeah, took it to the next level. And then when we did put, uh, start pitching out, I think that definitely kind of helped because it, sh- it showed already that we had a really high quality level for it. Yeah, certainly. And on, on a, a personal level, speaking to the, the last week, well, it's not even been a full week yet <laughs> since the cold of the lamb has launched, but, uh, let me, let me just throw a, a figure at you at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, over 11,500 Steam user reviews in less than a week. Could you have <laughs> possibly, crazy. in your wildest dreams, <laughs> anticipated such a response to to Cold of the Lamb? Uh, no. Yeah, honestly, I don't think so. <laughs> I think, like, we were- we had- decent hopes that yeah we'd do it but like yeah it's just kind of as i said it's just kind of exceeded that point now so anything beyond that i'm just like well it's still going it's still it's still going up that's crazy i don't i know it's sad (laughs) but um yeah i think we've just been quite i feel like it hasn't sunk in too much yet like we've been just trying to um fix bugs for people and really been like on it to try and um yeah help people that are having any difficulties with it so we're kind of haven't been able to like sit down and enjoy it too much yet. Um, just cause we're like, yeah, we want to get these fixes in as soon as possible. And I think it's just kind of, it's really hard. Cause it's like, yeah, when you just get to this scale of, um, people playing the game, there's just so many things that you wouldn't have like QA couldn't find just cause it, uh, there's just so many people playing it. Um, so yeah, we're just on it at the moment, getting those, getting those buggy boys done. It's a, a nice problem to have to yeah, have so yeah. many people playing it that they're picking up things that QA couldn't <laughs> so pick <annoying>. up. <laughs> <laughs>
One one thing out of curiosity, I was just having a look at some of Devolver's previously published titles, and uh, one that I think of was last year's Death's Door, which was mm. one of one of the indie games of last year. Uh, Cold of the Lamb has already surpassed the oh, uh, the, the user <laughs> review count there, which yeah, is just got him. <laughs> it is just crazy to think about. Yeah. So I'm I'm That's curious it. because I know I know Cold of the Lamb has a roadmap planned and future content planned and that sort of thing. But does the the sheer, ironically, cult-like response <laughs> to the game inform or change your future plans in terms of will you be doing more on it or will it allow you to move on to the next thing quicker? How how does this level of success impact you as mm. a developer? I think- um you know, we definitely like to have a lot of kind of control over our games and stuff. So I don't think we'll ever kind of grow too big because we want to be mm. able to kind of, you know, have that direction and kind of make sure everything's at the quality level we want. Uh, but it's, it's just meant that we can kind of, yeah, we can reinvest a lot of that into the game and kind of make it the best it can. So trying to get like 60 FPS on Switch or something, for example, kind of aiming to really, yeah, get someone who just knows their shit in to kind of really optimize the hell out of it and just kind of, yeah, making sure it kind of has the chance to be the best game it can without kind of being limited. So we, basically we can just throw a bunch of money at it is what I'm saying. But um, yeah, we'll continue. I think like the idea was always with it, like we'll continue to update it if people keep buying it. So yeah, we'll um, yeah, we've definitely got like plans to yeah, keep working on the game and kind of even looking at ways we can expand the IP, be it a board game or kind of mobile game of knuckle bones or something. I don't know. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of it's very exciting time for us and yeah, we'll we'll yeah, it's gonna be good. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um one one thing I'm I'm curious about with with the future updates with with Cold of the Lamb, um what uh, what are you able to share uh, at the moment in terms of sort of future plans for the game? Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't announced um, too much yet, but the kind of definitely the plan from us at the moment is the first update being a lot more of a kind of quality of life improvement. So just kind of mm. really making sure that, yeah, players can kind of continue. There's more kind of players can kind of continue to play it. We've maybe added a bit more kind of layers in content um, and just kind of making sure that base game is like, as solid as it can be and then kind of from there we'll kind of aim at yeah doing um more kind of content driven and kind of fun fun updates i guess uh where yeah we'll just do whatever we want do <laughs> should um yeah we've got definitely got a few ideas going uh but yeah they'll all be um we kind of plan yeah we're planning at the moment to just release them all for free um uh, at least for like yeah probably the first year and just kind of yeah just make sure keep keep the you know the the followers happy don't want any, you know, anyone um, rebelling against us. No dissenters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, fantastic. I look look forward to, to seeing it all then. So one one question I like to close things out with with guests, and some some take this rather philosophically, some Ooh. take it more well, literally, well. <laughs> uh, some you know, like to have a bit of fun with it. I'm curious, Julian, why should people care about video Ooh. games? Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, hmm, that is a, yeah, it's a good question. And I, when I read, I, when you, I did say you got, when I saw you got to ask that, I was like, oh shit. Um, but I think, I don't know, for me, it's hard because I actually don't, I, I don't play games that often. Like, and I, you know, I've been meaning to, and I love games, but I'm just really behind on them. But I think like they are probably one of the mediums where, 
there's just like it's just so much creativity that take like that is taken to kind of push out a game where you yeah you got art direction you've got all the music you've got yeah all the game design like i don't know if there's any other medium that requires so much input from like different different mediums i mean you got movies and stuff as well but it's like that level of interactivity and creativity is um really yeah it's unmatched i think as well with like just being such small teams that you can get away with like yeah these giant successes that something like a movie couldn't where it's a much more kind of catered and authored experience in the kind of creative output hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.